You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Hello and welcome along to the latest Today's Conveyancer podcast. I'm delighted today to welcome David Jabari, David is CEO at conveyancing practice MOVE. Today we're going to be talking about your career, David. We're going to be talking about some of your predictions for 2023. And we're also going to be talking about the way in which this market has developed over the years, because I think you bring an interesting insight to proceedings, given your background. But I shall let you explain a little bit more about that. Thank you very much indeed for joining the podcast. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself in the first instance. Tell us about who you are and and what you do. Well, thanks, David. As you say, I'm CEO of Move. Um, I wasn't a conveyancer by background. My uh, early career was spent in the city of London. I I worked for firms like Allen & Overy, for example, for nine years. And I was the chief executive of a city law firm, Barlow, Lydon, Gilbert, which merged, uh, we merged with Clyde & Co., uh, creating, I think it was the biggest ever merger of two UK law firms at the time. So my background was very much in the commercial legal world in management in that sphere, but also very much in the legal technology side of the City of London and, and the interesting things that were being done in that area. Uh, and then I made a move out into what you might call consumer law Um probably back in about 2012, uh, where I started working for some large national law firms running their consumer law divisions, and then cutting a really long uh, and, and, and tedious story short, uh, got to a point in 2015 where it seemed right to start my own venture, which I started with Dan Watkins and Klaus Werner, who had been the creators of contact law and the idea really was to build a a kind of composite of volume legal services but with um bringing their very sort of sophisticated legal marketing and lead generation skills together into that entity and uh, yeah i mean we've grown uh, very very rapidly uh, we we predict uh, on our own sort of measurement of market share that by uh, end 2024, we would be in the top five by volume of sale and purchase conveyancing. Obviously, that's dependent on what goes on in the market. But yeah, that's the kind of trajectory we're we're on. You've alluded to your background in consumer legal services. And that's really where I want to start the, the conversation. Because as you say, you joined around about 2012. That's the onset of the Legal Services Act or Tesco Law, as it became known. Uh, and you were at uh, Paribus from memory and leading this slightly different way of delivering the law as a as a consumer brand almost. Uh, from memory, Saga was part of Paribus, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that's, that's dead right, David. So Paribus was the very first ABS that uh, secured uh, private equity funding on a on a large scale. Uh, and so, yes, we were sort of right at the uh, cutting edge or bleeding edge of legal services reform. And, and the idea, I think, was, well, without going off into too much of a tangent, a lot of these 
large insurance companies, including Saga and, and a few others, they had created a legal services entity partly to get round the referral fee bans that existed then on personal injury work. Uh, and the idea was, well, once they created these entities, they could then repurpose them and become law firm brands in their own right. And, and at that time, and if you recall back to 2011, everyone was getting very excited about the idea of there being um, Tesco law, the idea that we go from sort of 11,000 separate law firms, a bit like the opticians had done back in the 80s, we'd go, we, we'd have four big brands um, that would uh, basically own most of the consumer law that was going on uh, in, in the UK. And obviously Saga, as you say, was one of those. And we we created an ABS for Saga. Saga were advertising legal services um, very aggressively on TV. And, and yeah, that, that was very much the aim to see if we could um, destroy, if you like, that fragmentation of the consumer law market and, and build it all around three or four big brands. I mean, I happen to think that that is very, very unlikely ever to happen now, looking back on it. A lot of money, I think, was wasted by private equity and other uh, funds thinking that that was going to happen. I think it's not going to happen because this market is just fundamentally different from other retail markets. You've moved into my next question very neatly. What went well and what went badly? Why didn't it work? Uh, well, it's a really interesting question. We could do a podcast on this one alone because it's fascinating. And I, I think there are a number of factors that explain it. Firstly, if you think about legal services, they're really not like other retail products. They're, they're what you might call a distressed purchase. They're not something that you you will go out and buy just because you've seen an advert or you've got a demand for it. You, you do it because an event has happened to you. So you've got divorced or you've been in, a, in an accident or you're moving house. So that changes the whole economics and the, the marketing of them. That, that's point one. I think the bigger point, though, is that let's think about how that um, consolidation around four big brands might have happened. It would have required a household name like Virgin or Saga or Tesco or Marks and Spencers. And we were talking to all of these people at the time to move into legal services. And the problem with that is, and, and you and I know this because we've operated in this market long enough, um, legal services are not easy things to run. And, and reputationally, they create a lot of issues for you. So conveyancing is a classic example, isn't it? You know, conveyancing, we know, is operationally very difficult. It accounts for something like 30% of all complaints about legal services to the ombudsman. So if you're a big brand and you've got a great brand, are you really going to go into legal services? Is it something that makes a great deal of sense for, I mean, an example I might give is, let's say you're John Lewis or Waitrose, you you own the Waitrose uh, brand, you, you're, you're, you're getting probably, you know, 500 quid a month off your best customers for their shopping bill. Uh, and, and, you know, over the course of a year, that's worth, what, £6,000. Are you going to put that at risk to do a conveyancing transaction under the, the Waitrose brand or the John Lewis brand for a small 100 quid referral fee or something like that? And I think that's the key here, that um, the running of, of legal services is is not something that 
is necessarily brand enhancing for companies that already have a good a good brand and that's why i think the way this market will shape out is is more that you will get people owning if you like sort of legal services corporations in each of these main verticals so conveyancing you start to see already the, the big players there you'll see the same in probate but I, I think you know rather than them being part of big retail uh brands it, it, it's more likely that they will be verticals just in this in this market in this market i suppose the only thing i would say against that Obviously, property companies might end up owning legal service uh, businesses. So that, that 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 is maybe you know another way of looking at it. It's a fascinating subject, as you say, one for another podcast, perhaps. But I think you've <laughs> you've succinctly suggested some of the uh, some of the reasons why it wasn't quite a success. What were the key learnings that you took away from that experience and have applied to move? I think the really fundamental thing that hit me when I was working with Saga in particular, and having been a, you know, like I say, a lawyer in leading law firms, Allen and Overy, Bird and Bird, Clyde and Co. Uh, but what really hit me was the way they approached uh, the retail product, if you like. I mean, this was something completely different. I mean, the average lawyer doesn't look at legal services as a product. They look at it as a service, which it, it is, but obviously it has product elements. But also when they come to things like customer care, it can be very, very uh, vague, you know, what the commitment is. I mean, even using the term customer is a, is a big ask for a lot of law firms, you know, the idea of a client. And of course, client does reflect our professional obligations, but it's also a way of, if you like, uh, insulating yourself from really seeing that person as a customer in the traditional way and and working with saga um seeing how they would document every single instance of that customer's journey from the the initial telephone call to how long it took to get a letter out to how long it would take to raise the inquiries this was something that i thought was was interesting and very demanding. It wasn't an easy thing to work with, but I think when we created Move, we realized we wanted to come at this from very, very high levels of process, very high levels of, of technology. Um, and, and that I think is, you know, that's a journey where we're still on. I mean, we're just recruiting at the moment, someone who'll be what we call a chief product officer in our setup. And, and again, I see that as quite an innovative thing that's saying, actually you know even with all of the process and tech we've already put in place it doesn't go far enough we want somebody who's going to really think about what the customer's experience is of interacting with a with a law firm so yeah in answer to your question that that's what i learned i think most of all was that that extreme focus on how you document the customer's experience the Today's Conveyancer podcast has explored this technology client experience dichotomy a few times. What's your take on it? How do you marry up the fact that this is a property transaction, it's a very personal experience for somebody, but at the same time it needs to be delivered in a technological way mm -hmm. in order for process to be efficient? I think it's a big mistake to think that just coming at it from technology and process will completely resolve all of your your customer 
experience issues um and and i think there's a great tendency there and that's what i would say is this this step from you know there's lots of firms operating in our sector that are good at technology they're good at process and they're quite right and we're the same they think well if we get that process slicker then the customer's experience is going to be better but it, it the customer's experience doesn't reduce to the tech that's the point there are lots of non-traditional ways that customers have a good feeling about a service it can be in the the voice that they get from the the person on the end you know the other end of the line it can be about how much empathy how many all, all these other things that if you're going to do it right you can't just see it as a a robotic process you, you've got to put this layer also of thinking well what about all of the if you like the more emotional and other aspects of that um, journey that you're going to have to cover off the two go hand in hand you know that's the point you you can't do one without the other but i i think that i think what we see as an opportunity is to is to really take it further because our tech is already quite slick we think that we've got the main milestones covered we've got the portal like everyone else all this sort of stuff but there's an opportunity to layer on that this additional dimension of being very attuned to the kind of emotional requirements of the customer as well and i think that's what makes you kind of you know that that's what good retail service is all about isn't it, it, it it's that move from just being technically strong to getting the service elements right as well i wonder if some people that listen to this podcast will find using the term retail in a conveyancing transaction quite a challenge because as we've talked about conveyancing is incredibly fragmented it's delivered by this whole range of people and retail isn't really in the vernacular of the lawyer is it no it isn't but my contention is that it should be uh, I, I think it's you know if i look at my own career and people say well yeah i've, I've had this issue uh, i've had this debate with people and i get accused you know you get these very sort of high-minded conveyances taking issue with with the language of retail but i look back i mean I, you know I, I i was a professor of law at one point early in in my career i worked in you know some of the most uh, demanding law firms and so if i i'm not i'm not coming at this by uh, downgrading lawyers and legal services i'm saying that there is a way of delivering these services in a in a legally competent and technically strong way but if you're good if you're a good lawyer whether you're a good commercial lawyer your attunement to the customer is is a kind of integral part of doing that job well you know it's it's not about i think where people get mistaken is they think well the language of retail is a it's either a dumbing down or it's also a a, a sidestepping of professional standards it's not it's saying those things have to be given you know you have to do your work to an extremely high standard technically professionally but if you're good at what you do you're also going to want to make sure that that service is delivered you know to the customer's satisfaction that they go away and they feel like they want to recommend your service i suppose the other thing i would say david is that apart from it just being an independently kind of good service value that good lawyers should be concerned about just like good doctors or anyone else they want people to you know enjoy the interaction that people have with them 
But also there is a market point here, isn't there? I mean, the truth is, if you look at um, price comparison sites, it's, it's sort of what Richard Susskind has called unbundling of legal services over the last 20, 25 years. What we have seen is that conveyancing provision has become unbundled from traditional law firm delivery. People buy it as a freestanding commodity. I'm not going to comment on whether that's right or wrong, but that's a fact. They 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 don't think, oh, well, I'll only get my conveyancing from my traditional law firm that can also do my family law work and, and, and my other uh, legal work. They think, no, conveyancing is a discrete product and I'm going to go out and shop for the best combination of price and and quality and that's a fact you know people people can rail against it but just look at you know where where our work comes from is the legal services board playing its part in that because it is trying to encourage this differentiation of legal services you're now subject to price transparency rules what's your view on what is happening there to help consumers understand better what they're buying. Mm. Oddly, given that sort of um, very strong consumerism that I was kind of (laughs) spouting a minute ago, interestingly, I would say that, you know, in in a way that the the law firms and the market are doing a good job, it seems to me, they are doing a good job in terms of improving transparency. You know, as we said a moment ago, you've got things like price comparison sites, which are holding firms. I mean, these are these are very demanding environments. Can you imagine the big city law firms like Freshfields and Linklaters, Alan and Overy going on to sites like that where they're being ranked and, you know, uh, they're having to auction their services? That does exist, actually, in, in the insurance legal world. I remember being involved in some of those in the past. But these are very demanding uh, things and I must say I'm not a great fan. I never have been. I've always been a kind of I say enemy, but I've never been happy with the regulators. I mean the CLC I'm kind of okay with in the conveyancing world, but I've never liked the SRA, never liked the Law Society, the LSB, and all these regulators. I, I feel that over um, what what they 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 fail to. Um, properly estimate the amount of good work that the law firms do to improve their service and become more transparent. And and I think anyone, you know, you and I have discussed this in other fora, but the fees for conveyancing, I think we all agree, are very, very competitive. And and I think it, it really is kind of odd to me that regulators and others are putting more downward pressure on fees when the fee levels currently are only barely sustainable. And, and, and that to me is a big issue. I'm not saying there should be any kind of organised attempt to increase uh, fees because, of course, we are in a retail market and the market will decide the fees. But I think regulators should understand that the fees chart, I mean, I've sometimes given the example <laughs> when explaining it to customers that uh, you know we are charging significantly less than say they would pay to a plumber on a call out basis or to their uh, garage when they take their car in for for servicing so why are our regulators putting more and more pressure on 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 something that can only go to a sort of if you like that sort of race to the the bottom on fees 
I sense your passion and uh, <laughs> we'll have to have you back on the podcast to talk about that. I want to move on to technology a little bit because you guys were recently in the press regarding the first digital remortgage, which you completed with uh, PEXA and Coventry and Hinkley Building Society. Uh, Hinkley and Rugby Building Society. That feels like a step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fascinating. I mean, I, th- I think it's probably the most interesting period that I can remember in, well, certainly in my um, involvement with consumer legal services, that in the conveyancing world at the moment, there is a lot going on on the tech front, isn't there? And that, that I think, the difference, I think, is that now we're beginning to see some technologies and approaches come along that look like they could really make quite a significant change. Uh, up to this point, you, you hear a lot of talk, but you know, mostly you think, well, that's that's unlikely to have an impact. Whereas I think PEXA, um, a very good example of a company with that incredible track record in Australia, they, they've revolutionised conveyancing practice in Australia, trying to do the same thing here. And yeah, we were delighted to be uh, involved in that. But the point for us as a firm is, yes, technology. And, and, and I must say, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to understand what our proper technology strategy should be. But technology is at the heart of what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve with reform to conveyancing. The, the one thing I just mentioned in that, I would say the challenge for law firms is, is that conveyancing, despite all the all the talk, uh, the, the, the heart of the process is still not very technologically sophisticated. I mean, it's still got a lot of manual, non-digital <laughs> elements to it. Um, and I think what firms have got to work out is, you know, where, where do they sit on on that? Are, are, are they supposed to be competing with external platform providers like PEXA, or should they be focused more on how they interoperate with those platforms and I think that's critical because unless you get that thing right or that decision right you can you're going to make some you know costly mistakes on on tech. So if we had a magic wand what would the changes that you sort of see that need to be made in the conveyancing process look like? Yeah I would I would say you know obviously the frustrations in conveyancing are are probably you know at, at heart still to do with the way that the process has these manual dropouts so the fact that you know you are very dependent on the conduct of the other side solicitors you're very dependent on uh, waiting for information to come back from third parties so the frustration in in trying to run an efficient conveyancing process is the fact that so much of the data that you're dealing with is still in this sort of non-structured, non-digital format, and it limits what you can do. Um, so yeah, magic wand probably would be that uh, we got a lot further down the track in digitizing some of the core information, whether it's leases and, and, and management information that would allow us to simplify the, the, the process. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's probably where my my focus would be. There's an inevitable amount of um, manual stuff in it, and we accept that. And and the lawyers' skill in reviewing documents that that's retained. But it would be it would certainly be good if we could uh, um, systematize more of the the process. So we're now in 
2023. The last two years have been crazy, to say the least. There's lots of doom and gloom out there. What What are your thoughts and predictions for what the next 12, 18, 24 months looks like for conveyancing? Well, obviously, end of 2022 was a an extremely turbulent and difficult um, period and, and one that made prediction extremely hard because we had all of these kind of, you know, global macroeconomic trends materialising, but we also had this very distinctive UK gloss from the famous mini budget onwards. Uh, and, and it was very difficult for those of us at that time planning our business plans for 2023 to work out how do we come at it. Um, and I think the way we came at it was uh, probably like most firms, well, you, you know, you try and work out what the, the worst case scenarios are and, and see whether you should be taking any action uh, to try and mitigate that. Worst case scenarios, you would say, in this market, probably uh, you have to go back to the crashes in the 90s and the global financial crash back in 2008. And I think one of the interesting things when you look at those crashes, uh, the effect on the market, perhaps not as big as people think, you know, so even uh, at at the worst of the um, 2007-2008 global financial crash, you were still looking at sort of seven to eight hundred thousand purchase transactions taking place in the, in the UK or in England and Wales. So, uh, you know, our view has always been quite bullish about keeping our capacity strong and focusing on growing our market share. Because as we, you know, as 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 you know, and people who, who look at this market will say it's a very fragmented market. The, the top five or six law firms only have about five or six percent of the, the market. So there's always more market to go after and i think that's been our our approach in terms of the outlook i mean my own take is that um obviously we began to see at the end of 2022 certain um factors improving like the 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 swap rates coming down in the mortgage market probably the the pressures on inflation subsiding a little bit so i think what we're all hoping for I, i think the first quarter first half of 2023 is going to stay very tough, but hopefully a return to something more like pre-COVID levels of business from, uh, you know, the second half of of 2023. And that's the basis on which we're we're going forward. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I think it's fair to say that 2023 is going to be an interesting year. I'm not going to say much more than that. I'm certainly not going to make any predictions. David, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much, David. It's always a great pleasure to uh, to talk to you. Thank you for inviting me. The Today's Conveyancer podcast is available on your preferred podcast provider. It's also available on todaysconveyancer.co.uk. My thanks to David. Thank you for listening and we'll see you again soon. You're listening to the Today's Conveyancer podcast, the leading source of information for residential property lawyers in England and Wales. Don't forget to subscribe and sign up to our free newsletter at todaysconveyancer.co.uk. You can also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.